Welcome to the 12th episode of Leading in a Climate-Changed World from Olivia Mithadrama. This episode, we talk to Managing Director of Walidi UK, Jane Sterland. Jane talks about her career and how she found her purpose and switched from an industry with unsustainable practices. She talks about moving away from the corporate game and how to step into a position of leadership with integrity and authenticity without compromising your values. Robin and Jane discuss masculine and feminine leadership traits and how they are lacking in the world of business. Jane uncovers how to come to terms with the fact that we're all part of a system and using her experience within the fashion and beauty industries demonstrates simple ways to begin your own personal revolution. The theme running throughout is that of importance of reconnection, re-establishing ties with your childhood, your fundamental values and of course with nature. Jane talks about how she had to unlearn almost everything that she'd learned on a practical level in order to lead from a position of authenticity. We'd love to hear from you if you're running a business which focuses on sustainable practice or maybe a community cause dedicated to improving the environment or society in general. Find more of our podcasts on leadingintheclimatechangedworld.com or our parent website oliviamythodrama.com or search for Olivia Mythodrama wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy. So welcome everybody to our podcast series, Leading in a Climate-Changed World. And today we are speaking with Jane Sterland. Jane is the Managing Director of Walida UK and number one of the who's who of natural beauty for the last three years. Jane has made it her mission to clean up the beauty industry, to eliminate greenwashing and to encourage the industry to be more socially responsible for what goes on the shelf. She joined Walida 10 years ago, seeking to rebalance her life and on a quest to find something more meaningful after a hectic career in the unsustainable world of fashion. Jane found what she was looking for in Walida, the global leader in sustainable cosmetics and phytomedicine, which she calls simply a philosophy for living. Jane also discovered in the Valida archive skin food, originally created in 1926, which has become a best-selling, award-winning cult classic loved by everyone. In her spare time, Jane tries to balance her personal life alongside those of her two sons, Bella the dog, all while supporting her husband with his craft brewery, although as she says, most of the help is in tasting, which sounds like a lot of fun. So welcome, Jane, and good morning. Great to see you. Good morning, Robin. This is fun. Yeah, it's great to have you with us. And we, of course, have known each other for quite a few years now. And maybe we could start with a, a kind of broad question about how you've experienced your own leadership changing or evolving to meet the needs of our time, especially about the climate emergency. What's been changing in your own leadership journey over these last 10 years or so, let's say? It's a really big question. Um, I think if I were to put it in one word, it's about responsibility. And um, I think up until about maybe 12 years ago, I can only describe it as being in a game, in a corporate game, where you're in a hierarchy, there's, there's power, there's politics, it's um, loosely wrapped around a term called career. And what happened to me was um, I, had a child and I suddenly realized that if I was going to spend time away from this life, you know, life changing event, amazing 
new being just coming into the world that it had to be worthwhile. You know, what, what was I doing? And actually what I was doing, it was working in fashion. And we, we know now how unsustainable fashion is. I mean, I, I knew then we were making new collections every six to 12 weeks. And it was always about how can we get the consumer to buy more things? Um, but it was a really glitzy lifestyle, as you can imagine, lots of traveling, very glamorous places, meeting lots of glamorous people. And I think, I think it was that recognition of this responsibility. I had a responsibility to a child. I had a responsibility to, to the environment and to the planet. And what I was doing was just not sustainable. So really since then, it's been a, a journey of discovery of almost unlearning all of the things that I thought you had to have to succeed. So unlearning all of the, the, um, the bad habits that I picked up, people I really admired who'd been really successful. And I was, you know, as you do, wanting to be more like them. I want to be CEO, I want this, I want that. And then realize that actually, you have to unlearn. You almost have to go back to being a child and just... Can you tell us some of the bad habits that you saw that you felt you had to unlearn? Yeah. Um, it was all about people. And it's all about how you act in a, in a meeting, how you treat people. Um, I'd use the term ego. It's all about your own ego. It's all about how you can make yourself look good. Um, it's all about getting in there with the numbers because the numbers are the really important things when actually they're not it's all about people that's what i've learned and i, I mean i came to a leader i made a big choice and we've had lots of discussions about that but i i i really took a massive not even a step back i took a step out and just said i'm not going to do this anymore i want more balance and harmony and i what i want to do and it has to be worthwhile and um, I'm a marketeer. I mean, I've been a marketeer since I was born. I love communicating and, you know, talking about things and so on. And, and of course, in, in the, the commercial world, marketeers are there to sell things. Marketeers are there to take the truth and um, make it into something wholesome when the truth might not be very wholesome. So that's what I've learned. I've learned that, you know, I just don't want to lie anymore. I want to have authenticity and integrity. And although I, I still work for a commercial company, you know, we have to make profit. If you don't make profit, you're not sustainable. How we make the profit is the discussion. And so going back to, you know, the bad habits, it was always about getting up was quite easy. Get up, go to work. You know you're there to make profit. That's what you're there to do. You're there to sell more to to get the world to consume more of what you're making. Now, it's, it's quite different. It's much more difficult, which is probably why a lot of companies don't do it. Because every decision we make, we try to look through three lenses of, does it, is it, is it profitable? And is it profitable in 10 years time, would we say this is a good, was a good business decision? Is it good for the people? Is it good for our supply chain? Is it good for our customers? Is it ultimately good for the end user of the product? And then finally, which is a really big one, is it good for the planet? How sustainable is it? And you know what? It's really hard. There are no clear cut decisions because everything is some, some degree of a shade of green. You have to just make the best decision using the best information that you have. 
And can we just, that's, that's really interesting to have these three criteria by which you make decisions about whether to do something or not. And how, how are you judging the word good? Like I said, is, is it good for the customer? Is it good for the end user? Is it good for the planet? How are you measuring that? So how do you assess that? Um, the, a number of measures. So some, some still very, um, what you might term um, in, a, in a spiral dynamics terms, in an orange way, you know, in terms of KPIs, in, in terms of productivity and so on. So, you know, is it efficient? Is it using the, the, the right resources? Is it giving us the right margin and so on? So that's very standard corporate world. But then in terms of good, well, it's it's about doing the least amount of damage as opposed to um, it being good for us. So what damage are we doing to the planet by doing this? So a really good example is how we gain our um, raw materials in that we farm them. We don't just farm them in a conventional sense. We farm them in an organic way. It's using a, um, a form of farming called biodynamics, which is meaning that a lot of our raw ingredients are carbon positive. So I mean, that again is, is, is quite measurable. Um, when we talk about people and how we manage people, for me, it's how are people fulfilling their purpose and how can their purpose be aligned into Walida's purpose, which is a company that I work for. Um, and maybe we'll, you know, we'll get into talking about how you manage people in a, in a new way. But for me, it's absolutely about enabling somebody to go deep inside and really discover their purpose and then having really grown up conversations I had a conversation with somebody the other day where actually their purpose really isn't aligned into our purpose anymore and at some point it's absolutely right for them to leave the company no that's that's that we would never have had those kind of conversations back in my old world because everything was about show and maybe a bit of a sham Whereas now we can have those difficult, deep and honest conversations. So, you, you know, it, it's difficult to say what good is, but it's trying to get the best outcome for everybody. So you've talked about responsibility, authenticity, being honest, real, having adult conversations. Now you're talking also about purpose. And I wonder if you can explain to people who are listening to this or watching this also what the underlying philosophy is under in Melida because it's based around a, a philosophy called anthroposophy which is probably not so familiar to many but I think it's really part of the lifeblood and the purpose if you like of the company that you lead so maybe you could give us a, a quick sense about what that is and how that also infuses the business. Mm, I'll certainly give it a go. Um, when I first started here we had a wonderful head gardener who'd been studying anthroposophy for 30 years. And I said, uh, Stasia, part-time marketeer, you know, just give me seven words about what it means. And um, he sort of sucked into his teeth and looked at me with sort of very sad eyes and said, oh, Jane, you know, maybe in five years you'll get a tingling and in 10 you'll start to develop an insight. So I've been here 12 years, so I'll give you my insight. Um, so we were founded on a philosophy uh, created by uh, an Austrian philosopher called Rudolf Steiner. And his philosophy was that human beings are part of nature, not separate from nature. And that we need to, first of all, recognize that. And secondly, look at our personal development in that we are not just a physical body, but we are also an emotional body and a spiritual body. So, 
I mean, we now know it as, as holism and you know, holistic healthcare, which is the, the industry that I work in, um, has, has really grown out of that insight. So one of the key things about anthroposophy is that we recognize that the human being and the interactions of the human being in the, in the natural world um, is more than the sum of its parts. There's some kind of transformation that happens. And as we as human beings, as we work together, there's a transformation that happens between us because we're more than just physical bodies. There's, you, know, you can call it the X factor. There's something else. And that's really special so that the interaction of when, when somebody makes a medicine at Walida, they're giving part of their energy, they're giving part of themselves into that medicine. When our gardeners grow a plant, they're giving part of themselves, they're having like a relationship with the plant. And it's not a, it's, it's not a conscious thing, it's an, it's an unconscious thing. So we've applied that back into how we as people work together in the work environment. So if you come to work fully engaged because you're, you believe in what you're doing, then you're bringing a consciousness with you, you bring what we call your will to work. And a lot of people will say, well, just, you know, work is just there to give me what I need. What I really love doing is, you know, is living for the weekends or I love my hobby or, you know, it's that what they love is actually nothing to do with work. And what we say is you can find your love, you can find your passion through your work and that will make your work more meaningful. But it'll actually mean that your work is delivered on a completely different scale. And, and for me, that's really true. So I don't have any boundaries between me and work because my purpose is Walida's purpose. Walida's purpose is to create a world in which health and beauty continually unfold. Um, it's a great purpose to have. It's not to make money. It's not to you know, sell another million products into the high street. It's actually there to improve the world that we live in um, and you know Parker Palmer calls it about having a, um, an undivided life being whole bringing your whole self to work and that's what we try to do particularly in the business in our culture in the way we in it just in in our whole interactions we're really encouraging people to fully show up and not everybody wants to yeah, and I wonder, it sounds beautiful, and I wonder how it applies to people who are, say, packing things in a warehouse every day or doing some of the kind of more mundane work that's necessary in a business like yours. How, how do people then feel like, well, this is my life purpose? Yeah. You know, reflect in some of those kind of tasks. Yeah. Somebody said to me about five or six years ago, exactly that. Well, you can't apply this, you know, highfalutin ideology to somebody who's doing a manual job. And I thought a lot about it, um, and it, you can. You, you you find the people that that like that that like to, to to be delivering that purpose. You know, packing medicines for somebody in a box for somebody who really isn't is disengaged is putting more things in a box. If you're packing a medicine for somebody and you're putting a note in and you're packing it with kindness and care, you're, you know, you're really putting, you're, you're taking that, that consideration for the person that's receiving it. That gives you a much better 
quality of your quality of life, quality of the job. And then you can build fantastic communities where people really enjoy what they're doing. The, 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 the fact that if we're talking about the warehouse, the fact that they're delivering product, if they're growing plants in the garden, the fact that they're tending plants that are going to go into medicines, if they're making medicines, exactly the same thing. If they're answering calls with, with our um, end users, our consumers that are phoning in with questions, it's all about thinking about the end user and wanting to do the best for the end user. So you know, we, have, we have people now that have joined us over time. And honestly, I think the more, the more you can have this feeling in the business, the more people you can have that believe this, then it, you almost become a beacon in, your, you know, in yourself, in the whole organization. It starts to attract more people in who want that. And the other thing that we do is that we try to make work fun um, because it, you know, it, we, we still have jobs to do and we try to have a lot more community interaction. So we have something called the Social Society, which is a group of us that get together um, with all volunteers because we want to really enjoy being together. And the word that I would use that I would never have used, um, you know, my old life is family. This place is a real family. Um, and yes, you know, people come and go, but a lot of people stay here for a long time. And, and they also literally invite their friends and family to come and join. So this word community, and I think we've forgotten that organizations, if Steiner said, any kind of organization is actually a social community. And I think what's happened over the years is that probably through reductionism and industrialization, we've converted this social organism, this group of people into, into something that's very mechanistic. So we talk about people and we talk about their output and we talk about, you know, their KPIs on absenteeism. And that's, you know, if I, if I talk about that, you know, this year has been really hard for us. We've had a lot of absenteeism, but we never talk about it as a number. We talk about it as what people have gone through. You know, it might be bereavement. And, you know, you know when you talk to somebody, you don't know what kind of day they're having. You don't know what kind of dreadful information they, they might be carrying or you, you don't know. So what we try to do is to say that every, everybody's a human being. You need to treat them like a human being. And that, it's really that simple. And it sounds like you also connect them to the higher purpose, if you like, of the organization. So whatever work you're doing, whatever level you might be in the hierarchy, let's say, there's a sense of connection to the bigger purpose. And that's, that's also part of what can infuse people. Yeah, um, not with everybody. Uh, said before, it's not for everybody, and and that, that's absolutely fine. I think the key that I've discovered, and we're, it's great because the kind of products we make, people use the products and it, they solve problems for them. And it might be a health issue, it might be a dry skin issue, it might be a nappy rash issue on a baby, it might be teething, whatever. When you connect people with the result of our work, you know, get people to talk about it, to connect with the person that you have made a difference. We have a purpose statement, dare to care, dare to make a difference. So when you actually connect somebody, again, that human interaction, it makes a massive difference. So one of the things that we've been doing here, it's not for everybody, is 
is getting much, much more sort of Walida, the Walida families, so the people that use Walida products, in through our doors, really connecting with us on a day-to-day -day basis. And that might be through social media, that might be physically on a visit. And encouraging, we have insight days every June where we open our gardens, we, we have tours, we have talks, and everybody in the whole company, be you, you know, um, somebody who's who is working in one of the you know one of the areas that you don't see so in a clean area making making medicines encouraged to come out and you know come and make tea and coffee and come and do some tours come and talk about the work that you do so right across the business everybody's actively encouraged to meet the you know, the end user the recipient of all of the love that goes into the products it's I mean it's that simple you just connect people together and you get them to think about the difference they're making and that higher purpose works with some people and some people it's done on an unconscious level mm -hmm. does it also say something about the size of the company because you've talked about community and family does that mean it needs to be limited to a certain size like if you had i think you're about 80 or so in in, in Walida, uk if you were 500 or a company of 5,000, is it still possible? Do you think if we now start to, to build this conversation into leadership in general around climate change and the climate emergency, do we need to be working in small entities which feel like communities and families? What do you think? Yeah, I think 150. I mean, you know, all, all of the data tells you around we as human beings um, are more comfortable in communities of 150 or less. And I do, I do think there's a lot in that. And the reason I say that is because Walida UK is only around 80 people, but Walida Germany, for example, is over a thousand. Um, France, Switzerland, um, slightly smaller, sort of three, 400 people. And when you're talking about that personal interaction, because you know, when, when, when does a person become a number? It be, it, they become a number when you stop knowing them, when you stop knowing about them when you stop knowing their name and something about them and that's when you start to depersonalize yourself and we see it in, a, in all society so I, I think there is a a really strong argument for thinking about communities of 150 um, how you do it is a big question but i think in every organization you have an opportunity large organizations to build small communities and then it's how you then interact all of those small communities together, how you link them together, and that's not through hierarchy. It can't be. That's through actually doing work and doing work together. Right, so if we were to now deepen this into, <clears throat> into the conversation about the climate emergency, are you saying that if people have a sense of purpose and the company has a, a kind of noble purpose, that that inevitably leads to a care for the environment and the planet? Or is there, are there some other pieces that need to be in play? People have to recognize that climate change affects them because for most of us, I'm sad to say, it doesn't really affect us. In, you know, we, we've had some really freak weather conditions this year. And I don't know if people actually, in the UK, having a lovely sunny day, really hot day, is a great treat, isn't it? It's not seen as, as actually, this is really, you know, we need to do something about this. So first of all, climate change has to affect them. And then secondly, 
they have to know that they can make a difference. So I had a really interesting conversation with my 13 year old um, a couple of days ago about um, climate action and um, schools for change. And he was telling me that one of his friends had said, well, you know, he, he um, was, didn't really, I think he put a, a plastic bottle, not in the recycling bin, but in the waste bin. And um, Johnny pulled it out and put it in the waste bin and, and had this conversation. He said, but nobody else does this. And Johnny said to me, so mom, if nobody does anything, then nothing's ever going to change, is it? So, so I want to make a difference. And, I, and that to me is it in a nutshell. If people feel that climate change is actively going to, to affect their lives. So I think plastic, and you know, what David Attenborough did about plastic, and suddenly people were conscious of looking around, seeing plastic everywhere, seeing plastic on the beach when they're walking, seeing, you know, plastic in the, the gullets of birds um, on, you know, on the telly and so on, suddenly realizing that they were part of the problem. And that's, that to me has been a real um, sense of hope that we can do something. And then secondly, this whole thing about schools and going on strike, suddenly the, you know, the young generation are teaching our generation that have caused the problems, that this is not acceptable. So put those two together, how, how can it directly affect me? And then how can I make a difference in small, really tangible steps? And how does leadership enable those two things to dawn for people? Like what's the leadership? What are the qualities of leadership that we need now to support that awareness in folk? We need feminine leadership and feminine leadership qualities. And I'm not talking about women leaders. I'm talking about um, a balance of masculine and feminine leadership. But in our organizations, particularly in our politics, um, it, it is very masculine behavior. You know, going back to my corporate life, it, it, the only traits that were really valued were masculine traits. And just unpack that a bit for us a bit more, what you mean by the difference between feminine and masculine leadership traits. So um, if you talk about feminine leadership, it, it's about intuitive leadership, spiritual leadership. It's about kindness and caring, nurturing. So all of those qualities that you associate with, with women, but, but not per se, you know, both men and women have these traits. It's what I would describe as being the person you are at home with your family. And that's not often, to, you know, how often do you have a meeting where in a corporate world where people cry, where people are, act, are actually showing up with their whole selves, with their whole, you know, with their whole complicated emotional selves. And, and that's recognised and that's fine. Rather than being, in a masculine sense, much more rational, process-driven, much more analytical. And it, for me, it's always a balance of those two things. And for me, that, that is, you know, Steiner called it practical spirituality. There's a practicality to the work that we do. There's a practicality to living on the earth. And then there's the spiritual side, which is very much more intuitive. And, you know, how often do we say, I just know, you know, I've just got a gut instinct about this. But if I'd ever said that back in my old world, if I'd ever said that in a board meeting, well, I, just, I just know this is the right way. So I've got a gut instinct. 
you know, but yeah, but where are your numbers? Where's your facts? Where's your fact base? So for me, it's about marrying those two. So in terms of what does the world need? We've got plenty of masculine energy within, within our economy, within our system, within our, within our society. But what we don't do is we don't recognize those, those feminine qualities of leadership. And that's what we need. And in terms of leadership, for me, it is nurturing. It is raising a consciousness. It is about encouraging people to come to those conclusions themselves. It's not about telling. So we might say alongside dare to care, there might be dare to feel. Yeah, and be vulnerable. Right. Be, uh, well, you know, bring your vulnerability to work. You know, who says that? And where do you see this kind of leadership? Do you have examples of it that you encounter or you see or you read about? Like what would be inspirational leadership figures or movements even? That you're so, uh, Jacinta Ardern, Prime Minister of New Zealand. Mm -hmm. she, she's an embodiment of feminine leadership. You know, she, she, she can be tough when she needs to be, but she, she just seems to know how to manage situations. And it's really difficult, Robin, if I'm honest, I could give you a million and one examples of the opposite. You know, we, we, we're confronted in, with it every day, aren't we? Everything that we hear coming out of, well, everything that, that we read in the papers. Um, you know, the, there, are, there are amazing feminine leaders. Greta Thunberg is another one. Um, they tend to be women. But you know, Justin Trudeau, I would say, is very, is very tap. He's really tapped into to a, a balance of, of feminine and masculine. David Attenborough, you mentioned earlier. Yes, and we, this is this is where this is where we need people like Saint David. Um, we need more people stepping forward. And it's really interesting for me that um, you know you you have Jane Goodall, you have David Attenborough, you have Greta Thunberg. They they're almost, um, you know, they're almost not, they're so unconventional. So they're not white, male, 40-something. You know, that, that's, that's where our leaders tend to be. They're, they're, they're octogenarians or they're, or, 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 you know, only just grown up from being a child, teenager. And they're the ones that are, I think are really giving us some truth. So, you know, I'm really hopeful that if we could get more feminine leadership, if and particularly on gender balance, you know, going back to it's not just all about women, but if our leadership represented society, so if 51% of leaders were women, if we had much more respect for things like vulnerability, you know, Brené Brown is another one, when she talks about how, how you show up fully through your vulnerability, um, then I, you know, I, I often wonder, would we be in this mess if we'd had parity, gender parity, not, not just in terms of men and women, but, but in leadership styles? Can we train it in people? Can you train people to be more feminine in their leadership styles, do you think? I think we're born with it. As I said to you before, at the start of our conversation, I'm almost going back to my childhood. I'm unlearning everything that I learned. You watch children play and they don't see race 
they don't see gender they 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 just see spirit so the training is more in the process of uncovering what was already there that has somehow been overlaid with conditioning and expectations and the particular paradigms yeah speaking from the heart is 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 for me how do you get somebody into a place where they feel so um where they can be vulnerable where they can speak from the heart where they can really reflect into some deep truths how can you hold that space somebody without judgment without fear and allow somebody to to, to blossom into who they have, you know, who they are, they, their authentic self. Um, and if you can do that through work, wow, it's so powerful because people then become whole self. Now we have, you know, I, I might, might make it sound that it, it's, um, as my 15 year old would say, oh, she's such a hippie. We have really hard conversations, very candid transparent conversations it's not an easy place to be because all of the time you're asking yourself about you your own role could i have done that better what are my shadows you know shadows are the the um the dark side of the gifts that we bring so you know we we for every strength there is a shadow and that that level of of being this this kind of exposing yourself is, can be really difficult, really quite uncomfortable. But until we go there, then you cannot be authentic. You cannot have this these deep conversations. Right, and maybe we can we can close with a, with some reflections about where you stand with the urgency. The IPCC says, you know, we've got 10 to 12 years to make it, to bend the curve, to kind of avoid catastrophic disrupt, disruption. So there's a kind of sense of urgency and then there's, there's hope and then there's people like Jen Bendel and others writing about deep adaptation that we're definitely going to hit the rocks and we need to be preparing for crisis. Like, how do you manage this in yourself? these different pulls to be hopeful and optimistic and maybe the other pull that says the, the realistic data shows us that it's you know it's not really possible any longer and also how do you how do you occupy a position of leadership around that the, the role of optimism hope possibility when other people are also saying yeah but look at the numbers look at the data around climate change and carbon emissions mm, i mean that that's the question of our time isn't it uh, so i'll start with me i try to understand that i'm part of the system i try to have a consciousness about it so i consume you know we we buy products um and i'm always asking myself what what role am i having so you know just buying one extra piece of organic will help the organic movement because the buyers in the big supermarkets will be looking at their their stats their hard data so starting with a lifestyle change um, I think that's super important and every single piece of, of consumption you have to ask yourself do I really need to do this do I need this so clothing uh, you know like I, I come from fashion we we have between seven and ten years worth of clothes in, in, in western wardrobes so how, how do we approach that responsibly and that's down to even down to the fibers that you buy then you come on to into my world now, which is all about body care products. The industry is fueled by selling us products that our bodies don't need. 
going back to the 1950s, we didn't even have internal bathrooms. It wasn't a specification for a house to have an internal bathroom. Now we have bathrooms attached to every bedroom. And, you know, we don't think nothing of showering twice or three times a day using product. We don't need to. Our bodies aren't designed to take that amount of product, which is why we see such a huge amount of things like dermatitis and eczema, and we're becoming more allergic to the environment that we live in. So very much about how we live our lives, how I live my life, and then how do I then take that out? Tell people about it. You know, I've just done that. Go and talk about it. Not in a melodramatic way, but just try to bring a consciousness to each and every one of us. Because I've heard lots recently about government have to make a change. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're, we're closing the business. We're taking part in Climate for the Future this coming Friday on the 20th of September. We all absolutely have to lobby government. But that's not enough. Governments only can take 50% of the responsibility. The other 50% has to rest with, with us as individuals. And we have to make significant lifestyle changes. But it's really liberating when you do that. It's really liberating. The smallest thing that you can do, and that might be if you if even if you have a window box, just growing some vegetables or some leaves, you know, some, some, some lettuce or some, some herbs, that might be walking instead of driving that might be picking up litter i mean picking up litter doing a litter pick down your road is is your own form of protest so con i would i would give two words one is consciousness and the second is activism start with yourself and then take what you believe is your truth out into the world and tell people about it that's great. We could talk for a lot longer. I just want to ask you one one final question, actually, which might be in the in the awareness of the people who are listening to this. Because you describe Walida as a health and beauty care company, so I imagine everyone would sign up for healthcare. That's definitely necessary. Some people might say, "Well, beauty products are they really necessary? Aren't they just kind of a bit frivolous?" What What do you say to that? What's your take on beauty? So, nature's beauty human beings are beauty we're not talking about lipsticks and artificial beauty um you know when you see the dawn when you see uh, you know you see beauty all the time and beauty comes from within beauty is a spirit so when i talk about beauty and it's a really great great question this isn't about um some kind of artificial um societal view of beauty you know the kind of things that you see on the tv or you see in magazines where it's all airbrushed beauty is the innocence of a child beauty is you know seeing the blue flash of a kingfisher we see beauty every day we, we but we forget we forget I, I was i listened to a sailor um somebody that we we've been working with an amazing woman called susie goodall who sailed around the world and she was talking about her experience through horrific storms. She had such, such a tale to tell, so brave. And she, all she wanted to talk about was the beauty of the sunrise and the beauty of the sunset, the beauty of the stars. So it's remembering that beauty actually is about us and it comes from within. 
And so your products are designed to enhance the natural beauty from within, would you say? Yes, they our products are designed to, when we say we work in harmony with nature and the human being, our products are designed to help the body remember what it is supposed to do. Um, you know, and, and that's great for me. We're not into, you need to use this cream every day for the rest of your life. We're into, you use this cream because it will help solve a problem and it will help your body get back into balance. It will help your body become beautiful. Yeah, that's great. And we could close with that because in a way it's an echo of what I think has been your central message in a way that part of leadership now is helping people remember what it is that we are also here to do. Yes. Steiner said that you come into life with a purpose and the act of being born means you forget what it is and you spend the rest of your life trying to remember what your purpose is. And when you find your purpose, there is beauty. Yeah, it's lovely. Thank you so much. It's been beautiful to have this conversation with you this morning and I wish you every success in the work that you do, the leadership that you embody, the company that you drive forward also, and also on Friday. It's great that you're shutting down the whole business and you're, you're going to be out there with the activists also. Thanks, Robin. It's been really, really lovely talking to you. Yeah, and, uh, you know, if I want to leave just one thing, with, is just be, be an activist today. Just do one small thing. If it's just picking up a piece of litter, you're being an activist. Mm.